Hello, ladies. So good to see all of you. Your beautiful faces here today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being a part of this study. I am Deb Haygood. I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it fills me with great happiness to be here with all of you today studying God's Word. Thank you so much for coming and being a part. This semester, we have been looking at Revelation. We're studying Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It's the last chapter of God's great story of love and redemption for mankind, humankind. Revelation is exciting, it's confusing, it can be overwhelming, and uh, it's encouraging. But most of all, it is the disclosure, it is the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the big reveal in Revelation. It's Jesus. The reveal is Jesus. We've seen John uh, writing down. John is the beloved disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. He's writing down the words and the visions that he sees and hears. The first week, he saw Jesus. He saw the glorified, exalted Jesus Christ, and he heard his voice. And then next, John writes down the words of Jesus to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And these were words of sharp rebuke out of his love for them. He wants them to walk ever closely with him. And they're also words of commendation. He tells them what they are doing well. And then he also gives them encouraging words of hope for how their life in the future will be with Jesus. And we've said that these words of Jesus to the seven churches are for us today as believers. Because as believers, we are part of the church. The church is the body of believers from the moment of Jesus Christ's resurrection up till today and on to that time of the tribulation of the end times. And so as chapter 3 ends, we begin this uh, final section of Revelation as chapter 4 begins. And before uh, chapter 4 begins, after chapter 3 ends, in that time, we think that something very um, significant happens, and that is the rapture of the church. It's an important event. We've talked about it before, and I want to just uh, remind us once again of the rapture of the church. It is the moment when Jesus Christ meets his church in the air to give them new eternal bodies, ushering them into heaven with him. Now, we learn a lot about this from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, so let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I want to encourage you today with these words. I want to remind you as we get into these chapters that are coming in Revelation of the judgment and those hard things, those trying times on the earth, I want to remind you we will be with Jesus. Encourage one another in the midst of these chapters that we will be in heaven with Jesus. 
Paul also gives us a little more information in his letter to the Corinthians. This tells us about these new heavenly bodies. He says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. We've also said that the rapture occurs to remove the church from the tribulation of God's wrath. And we saw that last week, Revelation 3.10. This was the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus says this, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So that is the rapture, the rapture happens, chapter four begins, and we know this is the final section because it has in there the words, those things which take place after this. And we saw that in our outline of Revelation, Revelation 1.19. Jesus told John, write therefore the things that you've seen, chapter one. Those that are, chapters two and three, those were the letters to the churches, and those that are to take place after this those things to take place after this, after the church age. As believers in Jesus, right now we are living in the church age. After this takes place begins that time of tribulation. And so that is where we are with the beginning of chapter four. So let's turn there. And you might notice on your uh, title, on your outline, the title says, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Now that comes from the great hymn most of you are probably familiar with. We actually sang it Sunday at the 11 o'clock service in Fort Worth. I thought that was pretty cool. I love the words to this song. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. And we sang this uh, song at my daughter's wedding quite a few years ago now, and I love that we worshiped um, with this song on that very happy occasion. But the occasion that John witnesses in chapters four and five is much happier. It's much more worshipful, much more joyful, because this joyful adoration takes place in the throne room of heaven. Ladies, today we are going to see God's throne in glory, in glory. I love to call heaven glory. It reminds me of when I was a little girl. I would sing that song with my grandmother. You may have sung it as well. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Yeah, glory land. And my grandmother would tell me about heaven and I thought it was the most beautiful, wonderful, um, the best place I wanted to go to glory land one day. And so that is what we're looking at today. We are looking into glory land. Let's look at verse one and two, chapter four. After this I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So John is speaking here and after these things, those are the letters to the churches, he beholds a door and instead of behold, I wanna say wow, Wow, he sees a door open into heaven. And the first voice that John hears, it is Jesus. 
It's Jesus. He's already heard Jesus. That voice was described back in chapter one where it says loud like a trumpet. It was loud and authoritative and important. And he says, come, I'll show you these things which must take place after this. And so when we read that phrase, we know that we are now in the beginning of the end times. It's the beginning of the time of tribulation and judgment of evil and sin and unbelief preceding that time Jesus would come back to reign on the earth with believers. It's beginning now. And when Jesus says, come, there is no effort on John's part to do that. He doesn't have to put out any effort. It's the Holy Spirit that transports John's spirit to uh, experience this vision in heaven. And there John sees a throne. Now, uh, we call it a throne room, and that room makes us think of walls and a ceiling, but um, I'm not sure exactly. I kind of had a more open concept, kind of like we want in our homes today. But there is a door, a door into heaven, and he sees this throne. Now, I'm not sure what the throne looks like, but we all know what a throne represents. It represents authority. It represents power and rulership, sovereign rule. The king or queen sits on the throne and they rule over the land, their kingdom, and their people that are in it. And on this throne in heaven sits God. God the Father, the Almighty One, the one who has sovereign rule and authority and power over all people and all creation. And John begins to describe him. Let's look, verse three. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So he begins to describe God, and he uses two very precious, beautiful, valuable gemstones of that day, Jasper and Sardius, or Carnelian, some of your translations say. Jasper, unlike today, it was a brilliant, crystal clear stone, like a diamond, sparkling like a diamond. And Sardius, or Carnelian, was a brilliant, bright red. And so what John sees is color, color dazzling, Brilliant, beautiful color. It's majestic. Jasper, that white, sparkling, clear stone might have represented holiness. And Sardis, the red, might have represented judgment or maybe even uh, sovereign rule. They also could represent Israel because the high priest, we learned this way back in Exodus, when he was given uh, the garments that he was to wear. It was a white robe, and over that was a breast piece. And on that would be sewn these 12 stones of Israel. And they would represent the 12 tribes. And the first one was a carnelian or sardius. And the last one was a jasper. And I have that verse on your verse sheet, Exodus 28. It says, you shall make a breast piece. This is God talking to Moses of judgment and skilled work. And you shall set it four rows of stone. And the first row, first stone we see there, sardius, topaz, and carbuncle. Didn't know that was a stone. Shall be the first row. And then the fourth row, that very last row, we see a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. So the first and last stone was the sardius and the jasper. And then he goes on to say there was a rainbow 
over the throne. It was like an emerald. Now, I kind of picture that as a rainbow with the colors of the rainbow, and maybe this green light is coming from it. But we all know what a rainbow represents. It reminds us of God's promise to Noah when he stepped off the ark after the flood in Genesis. God promised that he would never destroy the whole world again with a a flood. And so every time we see that rainbow, it uh, assures us that God is faithful to keep his word, to keep his promises, to keep his covenant with his people. It says he's going to remember us. He will remember us. He is faithful. So this vision of God, the Father, is awesome. It's majestic and colorful. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is faithful. So let's skip down to verse 5 and see what comes from the throne. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And so here we see that now John is hearing great loud noise. Let me get a little sip. This thunder, he sees the flashes of lightning, sharp and quick and bright, and then hears this thunder that's probably shaking. Um, We've all been in a thunderstorm, a bad thunderstorm, with that lightning and thunder, and it's kind of scary as everything uh, shakes, and sometimes we call it the fury of nature. But this was not the fury of nature. This represents the righteous fury and judgment of our powerful God upon a sinful world. John was getting a preview of the judgment that was to come. And let's look at the rest of verse five. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning. And oh, and before the throne, we're looking at before the throne, now there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So we see here, um, before the throne, seven torches of fire, and that is the Holy Spirit. We saw that before in chapter one. Seven represents the fullness or the completeness of the work of the Holy Spirit. Usually the Holy Spirit is not um, humanly visible unless there's some kind of physical phenomenon. For example, when Jesus was baptized, we heard the voice of God, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on him. Also, at Pentecost, when those believers received the Holy Spirit for the first time, there were flames of fire. That was the Holy Spirit over their head. And here we see the Holy Spirit as torches um, burning, burning fire. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So we see this sea of glass crystal clear, and I think maybe it was blue crystal, blue, the color of the sea. Um, I think that one reason, because I got married in the 70s, 1975, and it was very popular then to get colored crystal. So I received many glasses of blue uh, crystal. It was clear, but it was blue. And I also am reminded of the story in Exodus. Uh, You may remember this story too. Moses takes the children of Israel out of Egypt. He takes them to Mount Sinai, and there God gives them the Ten Commandments. And then God said to Moses, come up to Mount Sinai and bring 70 elders with you. I want to meet with you. And so Moses did. And then in Exodus 24.10, we read this. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Now, 
This verse has always amazed me. I'm not sure what they saw when it says they saw God. The only thing they describe is what he's standing on. Maybe it was bright light as well. But what he's standing on looks like sapphire stone, like heaven for clearness. So here it is, this crystal clear blue. I think they were looking at this sea of glass that we see here in heaven. So we've seen uh, who's on the throne, God the Father. We've seen what comes from the throne, righteous judgment. We've seen before the throne, the Holy Spirit and a sea of glass. So let's look now at what is around the throne of God. We're going to go back to verse four and look at that. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So there's 24 elders and they're sitting on thrones. This kind of represents authority. There's many thoughts on the identity of those elders. Um, Three main thoughts I'm gonna tell you. The first, they're a representative order of angels. Second thought, it's a representative body of all the saints of all the ages. And the third is representative of the church, the believers in Jesus Christ. Now, the number 24, we know, means a representative group. That comes from the Old Testament. There were hundreds of priests, but they were all divided up into 24 groups with one priest in each group representing them. So 24 is a number that means representative. But let's look and see what these 24 elders are wearing, and maybe that gives us a clue to their identity. It says they're dressed in white garments. Now, that could represent holiness or purity. And we also see several times Jesus telling the believers in those letters, those seven letters, that those who overcome, those conquerors, those victors, they would be clothed in white garments. And also, they have crowns of gold on their heads. Now, the Greek word for crown here is stephanos, and that would be um, a wreath of leaves or flowers given to a winner. There's also a word in the Greek for crown, and that sounds like diadem. That would be the crown of a king or a queen that they would wear. But here, this stephanos, this is a wreath of flowers. This is the victor's crown, and it is... Uh, gold. These crowns were given to the winner of a race or given as a badge of honor, maybe winning some sort of contest. And this gold crown here on these elders, it's the crown of a victor or maybe an overcomer or a conqueror. The words that Jesus, the name that Jesus used for believers in his seven letters, and they were conquerors because of their faith in Jesus. So I think we can make a good case here that the 24 elders represent the church, the believers taken up to heaven in the rapture that took place before chapter four begins. And also around the throne, four living creatures. Let's look at that, it's middle of chapter, of verse six. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So here we have four living creatures. 
Uh, they are alike in some ways. They each have six wings full of eyes. The eyes are front and behind and around and within, all around. And these eyes um, could mean they have comprehensive knowledge and perception. They're not all-knowing. That's an attribute only for God. But it could mean that they um, have, that uh, nothing is out of their scrutiny. Nothing escapes what they see. They can see all things. And we see also that they are different. They each are different. One looks like a lion. The second looks like an ox, or your translation may say calf. The third has the face of a man. And the fourth is an eagle in flight. So who are these living creatures? You know, there's many thoughts on this as well. Um, some think they could be special angels. A cherubim is one kind of angel, and the prophet Ezekiel had a vision, and in his vision, he describes similar living creatures, and he calls them cherubim. But in Isaiah 6, Isaiah has a vision of God in heaven, and he sees angels saying, holy, 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 and he calls them seraphim. So we're not sure exactly who they are. Some think that they represent creation, that the lion is for wild animals, the ox is the domesticated animals, the uh, face of man that represents man, and the eagle flying are those flying creatures. Some think that they represent aspects of Jesus seen in the Gospels. I think this is interesting. The lion, that represents king, and Matthew presents Jesus as the king in his gospel. Mark presents Jesus as the servant of the Lord, and the ox is a servant animal. And then Luke calls Jesus the son of man, the face of a man, and then the eagle is the divine son of God. And that is how John presents Jesus in the gospel of John. I think that's interesting, but we don't know any of that for sure. What we do know is what they do, and what we see them doing is worship, worship. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. And then look at verse nine. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So on some uh, occasions, we see the 24 elders also fall down in humble worship of the eternal God. And verse 11 here says that they um, are recognizing he is the creator God, the Lord God who created all things. And because of God, they exist. Remember this picture of God as creator over all. It is important to remember this as we see God bringing these judgments on the earth in the chapters to come. He is bringing it on the earth that he created. The beginning of this tribulation time starts in heaven with this glorious picture of God the Father, majestic and powerful, holy, the creator, and worship is a major activity in heaven. The elders we see cast their crowns before the throne. This is humble acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. He is the authority. He is the power. God is in control. God is over all. Now, the unbelieving world 
does not recognize God, they don't see his total authority, the world rebels and objects and people deny him. We wanna make up our own rules sometimes. They wanna make up their own gods. But no matter how people deny him, as Ray Steadman says, the existence of God's sovereign throne is an inalienable fact of the universe. God is real. Whether you believe it or accept it or not, God is real and he is in charge. Sometimes we tend to forget this. That's why I love Natalie Grant's song, um, King of the World. Some of you may have heard that, most of you probably, but she is talking to God in the song and she begins by saying these words, I try to keep you carefully between the lines. I put you in the box that I design. I try to pull you down so we are I to I. When did I forget that you have always been the king of the world? King of the world. We want to remember that. He is the king of the world. True worship centers our attention on God, the center of everything. Worship is important. Worship reveals truth to us. Worship makes us sing. Worship brings us together. Worship is loving God, delighting in him, praising and affirming who he is and what he has done. He is the king of the world. So we want to humbly worship God, the creator, who is holy and sovereign and faithful. And now the stage is set for that special occasion, the important event that is going to take place in chapter Five And so John's vision continues in heaven. Um, I have a picture, actually, of the throne room. This is one person's thought. Look at that. Maybe that's how you saw it. I think I saw it kind of spread out a little more and maybe rainbow a little more colorful. But that's one person's thought of what it looks like in the throne room of heaven. And so let's begin looking at chapter five as uh, this vision continues. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So now John draws our attention to the scroll that is in the right hand of God. And I have a picture of a scroll. We might want to look at that as well. This was... Um, what they used for books back in their day. Uh, the scroll has writing on it. Uh, this scroll, though, it says, has writing on the inside as well as on the outside. That's a little unusual. And it's also sealed with seven seals. So the scroll would be rolled up, and then globs of wax, sealing wax, would be put on it to keep it closed. And this seal, this scroll, is sealed with seven seals, seven seals of wax. Seven represents complete Perfect, and so we know what's inside this scroll is complete and it's perfect. It's interesting, I read that the Romans put seven seals on legal documents such as wills or title deeds. And so some think that this scroll represents the title deed to the earth. Uh, we um, know that what's inside this scroll is the judgments and the, uh, against sin and evil as Jesus comes back to reign on the earth. And so this scroll is important. 
extremely important, and it requires power to execute it. And so let's look at uh, verses three and four and see what John's doing here. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John is crying, and, and why is he crying? Because as he looks around, he sees there is no one that can open the scroll. There is no one with power to judge evil and to bring peace on the earth. But wait, wait, John, look at verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus, Jesus is worthy. He's here to open the scroll. And John would have instantly known that these titles from the Old Testament would refer to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The titles uh, from the Old Testament, Lion of Judah, Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob, the great-grandson of Abraham. And when Jacob was dying, he gathered his 12 sons before him and blessed them. And to Judah, he blessed him by saying that he was a lion cub and that his reign, his rule, would last forever. And then David, from the line um, of David, would come, I mean, David would come, the great king of Israel, from the line of Judah. And then from this line of David would come Jesus. So we see that those Old Testament titles refer to Jesus. And what has Jesus conquered? He's conquered death. The resurrection of Jesus conquered sin and evil and death and Satan. Satan's demise is gonna come in slow stages as we see in these next chapters to come in Revelation. But we know that Christ's ultimate victory is certain. In the end, Jesus wins. And now in verse six, John sees Jesus. Let's look at that. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So now John looks and he sees Jesus but he doesn't see a lion. That's what I was kind of expecting when I read this. Instead, he sees a lamb. Jesus appears as a lamb, and the Greek word there means little lamb. It's the kind of lamb that the Jews would have used to kill or to sacrifice for their Passover lamb. And he still has the scars visible as the slain lamb. But he also has seven horns, and the horn in scripture represents power, even ruling power. And so he has seven horns. He has perfect and complete power, omnipotence. And once again, those seven spirits refers to the Holy Spirit going out before him. And then let's look at verse seven. It says, and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Jesus, who is completely worthy, he has full authority and sovereignty to take the scroll and execute the contents of the scroll. He is omnipotent. 
He has power. He is worthy as the redeemer who died and conquered death. He's revealed as this slain lamb of God because he is worthy to open the scroll as our redeemer. And then look at verse eight. We're gonna see worship breaking out all over heaven. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So now we see that uh, worship is starting with the living creatures and the elders. They are singing a new song. Each elder is holding a harp and a bowl full of incense. What does that harp mean? You know, some uh, say that it signifies divine worship, or maybe it's just music. It represents music along with this singing beautiful music in heaven. And the elders are holding bowls of incense, and it tells us that that is the prayers of the saints. I love that. Our prayers on earth are important. They're important. They're gathered in bowls, and they are a sweet fragrance to God. In the Old Testament, the priest would burn a special incense. It was made from a recipe that God gave to Moses, special incense every day in the holy place of the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And the smoke would go up with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That smoke um, is what our prayers are, a pleasing aroma to the Lord as they're lifted up. And maybe those are the prayers that you have prayed for someone to come to believe in Jesus. Maybe those are the prayers that you've prayed when you've just read something harsh and evil and horrible and you pray, Lord, when will you stop this? When will you take care of this? Or maybe it's that Lord's Prayer that we've prayed many times and the part that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers are a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And verse nine tells us that they sang a new song that's a new praise for this new deliverance, this new redemption that's about to take place. This is a beautiful symphony of music and voices of the elders and the four living creatures as they humbly worship Jesus, the lamb. He is worthy to open the scroll and the song tells us why. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is he worthy? Because of the redemptive work of Jesus. We hear the gospel story, the gospel message in this song. Jesus died on the cross and his shed blood ransomed us from our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. Jews and Gentiles alike, people all over the world, those from different um, locations, different races, different languages, he died for all. All who believe in him, we need to believe in him. He is our redeemer. And as people redeemed, we are part of the kingdom of God. Did you see that? We are priests. Now the priests in the Old Testament, they had immediate access to God. They served God and that's what we have. We can go to God and we have the privilege of serving him. And it says, we shall reign with Jesus on earth. 
Now this is pointing forward to that future millennial kingdom. We will be there reigning with him. I'm not sure uh, what that is going to look like, but it kind of sounds like I'm gonna be a royal. A royal. Now, I don't know how many of you have been reading and keeping up with Queen Elizabeth and her clan. I hate to admit that um, I have spent way too much time reading about them, but I am part of the family of God. I am a daughter of the Most High King. I'm gonna reign one day with Jesus. Sounds like I'm royalty, and you are royalty as well. And then look at verse 11, the worship continues. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The worship continues and it must be getting louder and more beautiful as these voices join in. Multitudes, vast numbers singing and worshiping Jesus. And do you see there what they say, those seven characteristics? There's seven of them, seven, that perfect number. It's power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. These qualities belong to God the Son. When Jesus came the first time as God and man, he suffered hunger and thirst and physical pain and agony. But today in glory, he has all power, all strength. People ridiculed him on earth. They mocked him. At the cross, he was humiliated. And he did that willingly for each one of us that we might be saved from God's judgment and wrath. And now in glory, he receives honor and glory and blessing. Let's look at verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And now it's really loud and I think we're singing. It's our voices that are singing this as well. And we are praising God the Father and God the Son, the lamb. Ladies, heaven is real. It's real and as we read and think about John's vision of heaven, we get to see this real and glorious and awesome picture of heaven. These chapters today, they prepare us for the outpouring of judgment on the earth preceding Jesus coming back to reign. The judgment originates in heaven and Jesus executes the judgments. We see in these chapters that God's purpose and plan for us will come to pass. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop his plan for his people. Satan cannot stop his plan for his people. It will come to pass. And when we consider, when we contemplate this vision of glory, of heaven, we gain an eternal perspective. We're looking down from heaven on earth, and we see that this earth, this life is temporary. It's transient. Heaven is real and eternal. And I want this to move me to worship God and to praise the Lord, my Redeemer. He's your Redeemer. 
I hope this moves you to praise and worship him. He is our only hope. Praise him and worship him until he returns for us. We've seen worship over and over again today in chapters four and five, and let me define worship again. It's to adore him, to revel and delight in him, to express the love you have for him, to praise and give him glory, for he is worthy. Totally focus all your attention on him. And when you're totally focused on the Lord, worship can happen in different ways. Praying can be worship when you are talking to the Lord focused on him, when you are singing, when you are lifting up words of adoration to the Lord in song, that is worship. When you're giving of your time or your possessions, your talents, when you're giving them because you love the Lord, that's worship. When you serve others out of love for God, that is worship. When you're reading scripture, talking to the Lord, it's worship. Taking the Lord's Supper, is worship. Worship the Lord in humility with your whole heart and attention focused on him. Adore and worship Jesus, our Redeemer, for he is worthy. Today we have seen Jesus. Let us close with verse 14. And the four living creatures said, amen, so be it. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We've seen Jesus, the glorious slain lamb, our redeemer, and next week we are going to see his power as he opens the seals to the scroll, and you will not wanna miss that, so make sure you come back to see that, to talk about that. I wanna close today with a few minutes of worship. Uh, Austin and Maggie are gonna come and sing, and we're just gonna stay seated and listen to the words and worship Jesus He is worthy. Pray with me. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to you, O Lord, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Leading? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Waiting. Do you wish that you could see it all made? creation groaning it is is a new creation coming it is is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst it is is it good that we remind ourselves of